No, uh, I, I'm just a third year edge law student. Uh, I joined B1 because uh, I did I missed the deadline for 180 degree. And I'm like, oh, this place is open, so I hopped on over. I had a bit of fun. <laughs> question arises from here is Edge Law. We'll get into that a bit later. Um, I think the real question is like, you're doing two things that offers aren't affiliated with consulting. You know, people usually try to, when they're doing law, they try to stick more to, you know, their moots. I'm just generally like, you know, studying the whole time. And Eng, I don't think I know a single person in my cohort who even knows what consultants do. So I guess like the real question here is, you know, what drove you to even think about like, I'm not going to say their name again, but other consulting um, groups as well as B1. Just generally, like, what got you to, um, I don't want to get this, you know, podcast uh, sort of unaffiliated. But um, what got you uh, thinking about consulting and why do that when, you know, your, your degree is already quite fruitful in what it can achieve? Well, I started thinking about 180 degrees because uh, sorry, I'm not kind of... Don't say the name. Um... <laughs> okay, sorry. When I, when I was going to join Impetus, it's because <laughs> I'm kind of stupid in the sense that I don't really do things because I think it's going to be useful for my future. Like, uh, as my degree, as whatever I do, I kind of just pick things that I think would be kind of fun to do, and then I kind of do them. I got a bit of a taste from consulting because um, nice use of privilege to get a job through a friend who has a really famous dad to get into an internship with some advisory firm. I just love doing that business thing. We were, it was like 10 of us in a room. And my favorite part was the CEO just put up their financials, told us all the things that they were struggling. And they're like, okay, how are you going to make this business better? And I was just like, oh, this is really fun. So I hopped over. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy that you're going on the up and up again, you know, from dealing with like financials for a financial advisor. You're now advising one of the largest DIY bubble tea um, sort of providers at home. It's, it's crazy how like how far up you've jumped from now um and it's it just shows that like the number of opportunities that business one offers like working with you know maybe not the best financial institutions but the best uh bubble tea institutions which is which is really what matters right now um but uh you know i think another interesting thing is um i agree with your point like it's it's uh i think the same came to me where uh, maybe consulting was not the appropriate way maybe it will lead to a less lucrative um career path um in the end but I think it's just something that stood out, you know, being able to work with something real, tangible, um, and create something that's, you know, in your own control. Um, so I guess that's why I was led here as well. I guess the the only one left here is why was uh, Kian led to this path of, um, uh, I guess, consulting or even in this case, uh, podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Um, similar to Trav, I think, you know, I, I, I really feel that idea of just wanting to throw yourself out there and do something entertaining. Uh, as a commerce student, I think you guys are pretty lucky that you're separate of this of this culture, of this necessity that everyone's got to get involved in some financial club and suit up and get your LinkedIn looking pretty. It's a very pretentious, very, in my opinion, toxic culture. And I remember when I first got into this commerce degree, I was excited, but I was also a bit, you know, thrown off by the vibe mm. by a lot of people. And you know, I went to Club Expos and I joined the... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to list the clubs that I don't think highly of, but I'll let you, I'll let you guys, uh, 
I'll leave that to your imagination. And honestly, I wasn't really impressed by many of them. I really wasn't. You know, some consulting groups came in and said, yeah, we're a startup consulting group. And I said, well, what do you actually do? I mean, who do you help? They go, oh, we, we, we run models and marketing, you know, market analyses um, for a variety of firms. Well, what kind of firms? Why do you actually do it? And the thing was, I actually felt something quite different about B1. I really felt like the people, the people running the, uh, the expo together actually seemed like friends. They weren't competitors. It seemed a lot more wholesome. And I thought, oh, I didn't actually apply to any other uh, clubs than B1. So I was very lucky to get in first go. But that's kind of why I was just impressed by the culture and said, heck yeah, I want to get involved with that. Mm, yeah. I mean, culture is the easiest way. I mean, it has the word in it, the first four letters. Easiest way to get someone to stay somewhere. But I think um, another thing is, yeah, like B1, you know, um, look, the, the, the social impact we're creating is through our socials in the sense that we're trying to just create a better experience for, you know, students themselves. Because I think you, you can you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can do social impact. You can do startups. You can do consulting. At the end of the day, like um, what it really comes down to is like the sort of the experiences and opportunities you provide for the other students. Um, but yeah, I think it's... Um, definitely interesting point like clubs and all that but i think what kind of like interests me i guess about uh big trav here is um so like you know in the commerce bubble we're quite quite kind of siloed in the sense that like the only real sort of like form of competitiveness comes from you know your internships your um your case competitions from your clubs but i just kind of want to see like what is what is the competitiveness in like law like like what do people do to kind of put themselves out there i know there's obviously moots and debating but i think i just want to kind of know like what because i feel like we're quite sort of separated from that especially in unimob where law really only comes through like in the jd um so what's it like in monash uh i i think it's very similar i think it's very cutthroat like you need to get a good good grades you need to have the right internships you need to climb your way up those but I really hate the entire process. I hate the the way that you get into clubs, a lot of clubs at Monash. I don't think B1 is like this. It's a lot of brown nosing. It's a lot of getting the older people to like you. And it's very like all the really yucky things of social climbing in high school is just like, look, we're back. <laughs> in terms of the jobs, it's no one hires. You kind of fight your way in. And then when you're in, you're like, time to photocopy some documents. Uh, I'm really lucky that the job that I have now that I recently got, it's, I think it's the only job out there that I'll be happy to get as a law job for a student mm. because it's basically as a student consultant, kind of, you go represent a employee who got fired from their boss in a conciliation with the boss or their lawyer. So you're actually doing lawyer things. You're preparing the case yourself pretty autonomously. You're actually representing the client and they said in the interview you're going to be like against a partner at kwm how do you feel about that i'm like oh exciting as my heart dropped but you know it is going to be a lot of fun but yeah it's really brutal it's long hours preparing for assessments they don't tell you how to prepare for yeah i should probably be better at it so i'm the wrong person to ask yeah i think that's definitely very fair i think um just the idea of like law careers is pretty interesting like Everyone knows that Suits paints the most accurate depiction of what law really is. Um, but I think, um, I, I'm not going to name this person, but one of my friends, um, they essentially said that, well, I think they, it originally started from them having like a, like a year 12 internship in this place. But um, 
what they said is apparently like when COVID kind of cut down the rates um, and had to like let a lot of people go in 2020, um, they just called up the, you know, the place that they interned at and said, hey, can I work here as a paralegal? And I just said, yes. And so they've been working there as a paralegal for about over a year now um, and just engaging with that. Obviously, I think that's more of a sort of like a, you know, um, case by case situation. Uh, you can't just call up KWM and be like, hey, can I work there as a paralegal? Um, they might not be as sort of like, you know, open to that. Um, but I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, I think law definitely puzzles me. And I think what is kind of like, like something that I'm facing currently, I guess, in my degree is I already feel like my sort of my interests and my skills are being like, sort of like split into like I'm forking my way off where, you know, I'm doing a lot of like practical stuff with like the commerce space and consulting but my academic background is in computer science and i feel like i'm not really living out one fully to its extent um so i don't know if that's something you're facing as well but i can just kind of tell that like when you're doing law and eng both like they're so like sort of like mutually exclusive in the sense that like the communities are kind of don't really you know mesh that well together maybe monash is better because it's double degrees but here at uni like you'll never see like the commerce kids really interacting with the engkins unless they're through like clubs or anything like that. So I think the, the disconnect that happens for me when I think about it, and okay, this is a bit more serious. It's a bit more terrifying because when I do moots and stuff, it's like you're fake representing a client. Oh no, you lose the loot, you self pity. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to like down a couple beers and order greets. <laughs> but then it, I just heard a story from my friend. They set up a volunteer group to help, uh, during everything that happened in Afghanistan uh, to help pe- process visas and speed up the process because they just needed mass numbers to help people to come over. Mm. And they were saying how the the in a group of three people and they were the like they're the lowest person on that team. And there's things that you need to do to get visa process. Like you have to ask for like these 15 documents or something. And they were just saying how lazy the people were in doing it. Mm. And how it was some feminist in Afghanistan who is running from the Taliban and every time they make contact to get the documents and information, there's a risk that they can get captured wow. and all the horrible things. Wow. And then it's not that I'm not saying that I'm going to be the lazy person who is just going to leave someone that incredible behind and not protect their rights. But it's just a reminder that you're not getting prepared for the gravity of what you're doing and what you're going to face. And I definitely don't want to be like, oh, I'm in property law and this house should be, this fence is wrong. Like, I want to do something important. But then I also realized, hmm, what if I don't do it well enough? Oopsies. Yeah. Do you see a lot of that in law? Do you, do you feel as though, because it's such a broad field, I mean, like you said, there's property law, there's you know, tort law, mm. and there's human rights law, um, which you seem to hold pretty close to your heart. Because it is such a broad field, do you feel like, the people within your faculty and your peers and your colleagues, you, you might be more different to each other than you are alike. Do you find it hard to find people with the same values in a law degree? Maybe in the way you do an engineering degree, you find a lot of mathematically minded problem solvers. Do you feel as though law is less connected or have you been able to find people with shared convictions? Uh, I, I was lucky. I think most of my friends at the moment are law friends, which I met through debating. And all debaters are very similar in, uh, I'm not going to get good enough sleep. I'm going to throw my life away for a stupid argument at a computer screen. And I don't know, they're just all really talkative, uh, extroverted, fun people. And like those were the subset of law people I met. But yeah, there's heaps of different people in law. There's your classic 
you know, study all day and night and doesn't really talk much. There's the people who are just your, I don't really care. Oh no, the assignment's due tomorrow and it's 40%. Uh, it, it covers a lot of different ranges, but I think a lot of people are there because they want to, but I also know a lot of people who are there because their parents said it's a good idea. Mm. Interesting. I think that's um, it's definitely an interesting point you brought up, but like whether, you know, whether it's, whether the intent for doing something good, like, matches like the outcomes that are kind of like come out of it i think that's something that comes up a lot with generally like people thinking about um you know where their commerce degree will take them like a lot of times i think people just accept that like there isn't really much sort of like virtue that you can achieve through like a, a real job in the current sort of like economy so because of that they just kind of like like pick the lesser of two evils um and go ahead with that but i feel like law obviously is i don't know like is it kind of like you like ubiquitous that the sense that you know maybe it isn't actually achieved like the impact that people say they are and is this something that oftentimes everyone understands just not worth following because it's kind of you know a dead end in the sense of like you could pursue like human rights law but because it's like international it's so hard to do anything from like i know an international position especially now because i know that's something that like is brought up just generally like social impact projects um around the world where like unless you're in the actual country, there's not really much you can do in helping the situation. So, um, yeah, maybe that's something law faces as well. I'm sure it's, you know, on everyone's minds whether they're going to be pursuing a virtuous uh, degree. But, uh, yeah. I mean, my take is, it's my favourite quote from a law book. It's just, it was like a thousand monkeys at a typewriter could sit at a screen for a few weeks and make better law than we already have. It's just like, the law is dumb it's it's right in theory but also and this sort of surprised me there's so much law that is just not settled like there's so many scenarios of things even when they're very common judges are just like i don't know what it is but i'm gonna take a guess or there's this unresolved issue that happens in this case but we're not going to address what the law is so even if you are doing things right there's so much ambiguity in the law that bad people can play around with it but yeah also there's just people don't have money for lawyers and they won't go to court and people won't have their case heard. Mm, mm, for sure. Interesting. Trav, you seem really interested in the law side of your studies. Would you say you're doing engineering and law, which I think we mentioned before this call are two massive commitments, massive commitments. I think you know, someone putting in the hard yards to become an engineer is devoting three, four years of their life to think a certain way, to solve problems a certain way. And I think it's very similar for law. You are really putting in the time to obviously become qualified to do some pretty significant work that only you can do if you do those years. Um, having done, or, you know, undergoing the process of studying both degrees at once, are you more passionate about one or the other? It seems like you've said a lot about law. Does engineering have that kind of place in your heart? And you sound like sorry, you fish. Now go on. Yeah, you sound like a cousin that I see at a family gathering. <laughs> oh, well, what, do you, what do you want to do? Um, I think that they're surprisingly similar in the sense that it's all about problem solving for the most part. It's all about, a, like in law, it's you have a set of facts and you need to use your brain to figure out which out of the whole heap of law we've learned applies and how can we use the facts that we're given in really creative and constructive ways. And engineering, it's similar. It's how do we use the concepts that we've learned to this particular problem. So there's more overlap than you think. I still do like Eng, but it's just that none of the clubs have really jumped out of me to do the extra interests. 
like I've done a bit at home and I've done a bit of like coding for fun and like Arduino projects where you can like make little, I don't know, pianos or whatever. But uh, the, the clubs that you can get into, they have like a rover team. So you make like a, a drone or a rover that you meant to go on Mars or a rocket ship. Uh, I just haven't really applied, but also uh, I probably wouldn't get into because you need more experience and I'm still early in my end part of my degree. But uh, I'm definitely interested in both. Uh, the other thing I would say is there's surprising overlap. I okay, don't don't tell the job that I already accepted. But I interviewed for a different role on Thursday, and it was for Slater and Gordon doing developing code for legal technology because tech is being integrated into law. It's how you mm. can sweep through mass amounts of documents. Uh, it's how you can just like send out and organize things. There's even uh, code now that will go through judgments. Uh, go through a bunch of evidence and figure out the things that are important or go through judgments and figure out things that are useful for you mm. so it's like actually an overlap that does exist yeah i think it's crazy like um like the the one startup that comes to mind is joseph like they're automating a lot of like legal processes right now and they're like kind of the, paving the way for it in australia they're like melbourne based as well but um i think it's definitely very interesting it kind of um brought up well i don't know first off you kind of remind me of like my little like doings with the Arduino, um, which is very silly. Basically, in in year at twelve, when I was doing my like uh, my project for the subject or whatever um, for physics, I, I I for some reason had this dumb idea where I was like, oh, what if I like to kind of understand like you know how to reduce? Oh, I'm trying to remember, but it was something about like reducing the sort of like the severity of you know, your current passing through, a voltage passing through due to static electricity, I wanted to measure it. So I was like, I, I Google, I like put in a physics forum. I was like, so how do I measure static electricity? And then they were all like recommending that I build like some sort of like, um, some sort of meter, which would detect this static electricity and measure it with an Arduino. So I spent about like $60, $70 in like buying the Arduino, like R4, uh, buying transistors, <laughs> buying all these parts and setting it up only to not actually be able to measure it and realize at that point what I was even doing wasn't actually going to achieve anything. So I had an Arduino box just hanging around. Um, and I think that was just kind of like the telltale that maybe electrical engineering wasn't for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, it's just, yeah, definitely like the idea that everything is, you know, everyone is finding ways in which code can sort of like uh, optimize process. Like I was, I was just doing the case comp um, for L'Oreal um, and that was like such an interesting way to see like how data is so important for like a large sort of conglomerate of beauty companies where like they would essentially receive about 50 million data points every day and then process these to identify which formulas would be the most sort of like, uh, you know, the sell the best or be like marketed the best. And they run this through this huge algorithm, uh, which would understand like correlations between particular sort of data sets, um, and formulas and then produce the next makeup formula. So like. It is, it is literally a good time, I think. Uh, clearly, Travis has found, like, his niche um, with code and law working sort of, like, at the cross-section. Um, so, I think, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely a space, I think, that's going to be moving a lot sort of in the next few years. Um, and, you know, Travis probably just made the right choice and started jumping on that early. Without, um, you know, avoiding the topic any further, we see a few uh, little trophies in your background. Um, you mind talking about... <laughs> Oh, I've got, I've got you the screen catcher. What, what are those? What are those things for? What are those uh, sort of? For? Why are you so decorated at this point? Uh, 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 
Uh, did you see Logan Paul's podcast with Tommy in it? I just, I watched that before I came on this podcast. And I found it really interesting. I was like, oh, I want to get an idea of how podcasts work. So how did Logan Paul and Tommy in it run it? It's just crazy that this 17-year-old kid who just plays Minecraft and just starts his videos with, like, I'm the annoying kid that always talks about how uh, I date a bunch of women. Mm. And he's just dominating the conversation with these, like, 30 and 40-year-old men. And he's just, like messing around he's just making jokes he doesn't take a single thing seriously it was just such a power play and i tried to i tried to be that but i'm not as smooth as tommy oh well i think i think you're doing a good job the annoying is really coming through i think something that you know you really kind of talked about as you know being something your own was um your affinity with uh you know particular shows that are filmed on islands which you know show just the, the natural connections between two individuals that can be formed in tough situations, otherwise known as Love Island. So, um, care to explain why that is one of your fun facts whenever you enter a situation? I just think that the beauty of Love Island is you can feel completely guilt-free as you pick apart people's personalities and just roast the shit out of them with your friends. Because there's that, like, disconnect that you know shouldn't be real of, oh, they're just, like, in a show and they're kind of celebrities mm-hmm. but then at the same time you, you know they're it's just so funny like uh, the uk season now like you have like i don't know this guy who was just in it for the money and he said i love you because it was convenient and you just always have all these dramas and fights and it's just like you just get to make fun of a bunch of people scrambling for money power and fame as you sit in your bed like laughing with your mom it, it's just awesome <laughs> Trav, could you ever see yourself going on that show? Look, as, as the, although I know that I could make it in past the appearance barrier, I just don't think I could handle the fame. I'm already too famous right now. <laughs> You're getting enough sort of like, there's too many women to handle right now, and men. Mm. So I think it's it's definitely like, you don't have time for it given your intensive degree. Mm. So I hope they would be able to like, sort of like understand that. But like, there are so many interesting shows that are coming around with the same concept that like, watching other people's like you know love lives it's like this kind of it's almost parasocial but because you're poking fun at it it's not too bad um but i think it's there's a bunch coming through like i was just watching like what they call f boy island the other day um and that's a great one because the concept there is you have um essentially three females but you have about uh i can't remember somewhere about in the 20s of males um and the thing is half of them are proclaimed like F boys, they they like to use F boys, even though it's it's you know sort of cringe. Um, and the other half are nice guys. Um, and the thing is, the girls have to they want to get with the nice guys um, because they they clear they're, they're people who've like overgone trauma with F boys and they don't want to go through that again. But it's just such an interesting show, and it's probably like one of the most like intriguing ones because you're there in the audience, like trying to pick apart who the F boys and the nice guys are, and like such a dumb concept, but like. You, you just tend to realize that, like, all of these guys in the shows are all just F-boys who either have, you know, the self-awareness to realize that or don't. Um, and you get some really interesting characters. Like, there's this one guy who says, like, he's just, like, he's very manipulative in the sense that he comes across, like, in a nice case. Like, he's like, I like to, um you know, he's like, his famous line is, I like to, um you know, get a make a girl welcome and, you know, make her feel comfortable so she can, um you know, so, um, so I open up to her so that she can open up her legs to me and i was like jeez um but that one is crazy also too hot to handle is another interesting thing that i think is across the three seasons has kind of just continued to mature 
um, where now this season they've realised, like, without spoiling too much for people, that the greatest part about the too hot to handle is showing the fact that, you know, they are too hot to handle and that people will break the rules regardless of losing money because they're just, they, they found, like, the people with the, the biggest sex drive ever and put them all together who are willing to, like, <laughs> sacrifice, like, thousands of dollars simply to spend a night together. And it's absolutely incredible to watch. Also, the, um, what is it, like, the the one where they like dress up in like you know like the the, the oh that makeup. one scares me like so that's just up. it's just a bunch of furries and I'm not into that <laughs> so there's I don't know if you've seen this on Kion, but there's like a bunch of people who dress up in like um like full makeup of like animals and stuff and they like they the whole point of this is that you're meant to like fall in love with people's personalities but I think what it really reveals as Travis said is people's inner sort of like fetishes towards these particular sort of uh, animals and creatures. Um, but, yeah, there's so many. Hectic. I've been missing out, mate. All, all I've been watching is uh, Suits and Q&A. Uh, and suits. Oh, that is Suits. Boring old man. What are these shows? I mean, my, my sisters are Bachelor Tragics. Ah, uh, of course. That's the OG. That's the OG. And, you know, hearing Travis's psychological interests and that kind of <laughs> breakdown process i'm sure the bachelor was that kind of that would have started it i'd imagine it's it's quite entertaining it's a guilty pleasure mm. i mean I, I don't watch it anymore but i must admit once you once you get an episode or two in just that that idea of almost being the voyeur of mm. people's love life you know getting a getting a view on their psychology their insecurities these kinds of things you know from that kind of bird's eye view it's it's a bit addictive. It's a bit dangerous, but it's very interesting indeed. And it's it's really interesting. A mind like yours, Travis, finds so much interest in that. Tell me, do you have broader interests in psychology? Is that where it stems from? Uh, it's not 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 really. Like it wasn't the psycho psychology that interested me. It was just more watching a bunch of people fight over things that were incredibly stupid. And it, it feels I'm like let's watch Parliament. <laughs> Yeah, except they're, um, they're too handsome in Parliament. I would get too distracted. Wouldn't really listen to them. Um, Barnaby Joyce, yeah. <laughs> and we all want, we all want to look like him. Um, well, <laughs> I remember the other show as well. Um, there was so essentially it's a spin-off of this show called Naked and Afraid. Um, and Naked and Afraid was a show where no, okay, this one Naked and Afraid isn't a sexual show. Essentially, it's trying to like bring people back to like this this place of like sort of like humanity um and like just your primal instincts essentially people were put onto a deserted island all naked um and they just had to try and survive together so that one didn't have sort of like much sort of like you know sexual tension or love energy it was more about like this idea of like where people were like you know usually embarrassed of like their bodies when they put in a situation where they have nothing else to do like how how quickly like people can become accepting of like themselves and like you know other people and like people just very quickly like adapted to this but then apparently with the the whole kind of wave of love island spin-offs they decided to make naked and afraid of love which is the same exact concept except you put people there who are eager to you know fall in love but it is it brings in some of the most interesting characters just like the dynamics are so people just panic and freeze up when they're like naked and have to like talk in a romantic sort of context like there's um there's just people like they don't know what to say they get frozen in front of a girl um and it just it leads to some of the most embarrassing and awkward conversations but again it's like this guilty pleasure um of 
you know, lucky that you're not in that situation. Don't you just feel like a monkey watching like Jubilees, you know, fighting the fake gamer amongst five gamers or, oh no, I can't believe Jessica's in a fight with Rachel because, I don't know, Brad was cheating on her. Like, of course, <laughs> Brad was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. but I get you. I get it's, you. It's, it's so interesting. I think it's well. If you've any, if, I haven't watched it myself, but I think I kindly understood the whole concept. Like, um, the like the idea of the the, the documentary, like the social dilemma, right? Like, there's a reason why we keep watching these. It's it's not because they're good content, but they're like they're sort of manufactured to this extent to like tickle exactly what you need, like these urges, um, within you, and it's like why like <laughs> products get sold so well to you why these content is so easy to consume it's because you can like kind of expect like the sensations that you'll feel from watching it and you know that that's what you desire um but you're definitely right like that's why i feel a lot more confident in watching someone react to it because it's almost like we're both poking fun at it and i'm not just watching it because it's entertaining um another quick thing that i've stolen from you know, someone reacting is, have you guys heard of the show Moment of Truth? No. Okay, so this is a fantastic show um, that essentially was this really interesting concept where they interviewed a person before the show um, and made them go through like a polygraph test and just try to like gauge a bunch of answers from them about like, you know, to understand like when they're telling the truth and when they're lying. And the premise of the show is, you know, this person comes onto the show and they're again with a host and their whole family, friends, and like um, their significant partner are sitting there on this couch and they just sit there and watch. Essentially what the show is, is it um, starts at like just asking questions, you know, generally like, so, um, you know, uh, is, are you like, are you happy to be here? Um, like, uh, is this your brother in the audience? Um, like, did you like, did you enjoy the cake your mom baked? Um, and it like, so if you're telling the truth, Oh, sorry, if um, you're telling the truth, then you get progressed to the next round and get more money. So it goes 1,000, 2,000. If you lie, then you lose all your money. Um, but the show reveals so much about people that it's like disturbing to watch. It's like they, they ask questions like, so it escalates and it's like, are you still like in love with your husband? And then they're, they're like frozen there for a second and they're at a point where they've already earned like five thousand dollars and like revealed so much about themselves like you know um you know the disgusting habits the fact that they are like they think their dad isn't proud of them all these things and they got into a point where like they've lost so much already um that they just keep going and they say like yeah i don't love my husband anymore and then it says truth and then it's just this weird juxtaposition where the audience cheers but like they also don't want to cheer because like they're right, like, they get the money, but they also, it's such a terrible thing, and you watch, like, the husband in the, in the thing, like, clapping, just because he wants her to get money, but he's so lost, and then there's just this plot twist where they bring in, like, her, like, ex, and they're like, so do you still have feelings for your ex? Um, and then she again says yes, and, like, they, like, the money progresses again, and it goes through this whole, like, this just really uncomfortable situation where it's breaking apart all the ties of her family as, as she reveals, like, like she's stolen and done all these things to like make her family upset and you know she's breaking apart the relationship with her husband for like money and then they're like i, I won't spoil the like the ending but like because i think it's definitely worth a watch but um it just goes to this point where you're like is it really worth it at this point but at the same time like they've done all this point and there's no going back on it so might as well go the whole way and it's just it's just that's probably a very interesting sort of like look into like the psychology of you know, people, um, their relationships with others and money. 
but that's uh that's, that's a hard one to watch it's like an emotional hunger games oh yeah, I, was, I was just gonna say it's a bootleg squid game yes yes exactly <laughs> but, um i'm still yet to watch squid game I yeah i'm, I'm gonna pop but I've heard it's uh, like it's inescapable. I, I go anywhere on the internet. There's a Squid Game meme or behind the scenes explanation, uh, or the TikTok sound that's just playing. But um, yeah, it's um, these are all shows from like the '90s. In the '90s and like the the noughties, like anything went by. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely nice to see that television has progressed in the right direction. Well, I don't want to say right direction, but it's progressed nonetheless. Um. But it's definitely very interesting. Progressed in the right direction. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? I think what's an interesting sort of like point that should be brought up is like, you know, you there's when I went to like when I went to this um sort of startup like student fellowship, it was um a community of individuals um who all like have startup backgrounds and all that, um and some of them were just so incredibly driven. It was almost insane. Like, I was just so shocked to see like that there were so like involved in this and they were always watching podcasts you know listening to podcasts like reading books like um checking twitter like for startup news and they were always like in this bubble and like sort of like you know suffocated by it um there's one guy who took like a whole year off to essentially read books and he ended up reading like 60 in one year um and i you know what just gets me about this is like for me personally like these ideas of like personal development are like they're so like kind of suffocating because you know if you're studying your whole time or working your whole time and then in your off time you're also like consuming like podcasts for the sake of like you know improving yourself or reading books for the sake of like you know reading Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life or um, uh, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, you're you're constantly like I, I don't know if you guys feel the same but like I feel like this separation is important. Um, but I know there are some people who for them, their leisure is engaging in this and consuming this and, like, being so involved with it. But I feel there's an extent to which people should do something like that. What do you think of that, Travis? I mean, given... I'm, I'm only a first-year commerce student. I mean, it's a it's a fancy business degree. My, my dad's an engineer and he says... I was thinking about doing commerce arts at Monash. He said, oh, so two, two arts degrees. <laughs> You're doing engineering and law. So what, what do you think of this kind of conundrum that Ivan's just presented? Because you'd have some pretty hefty academic commitments, but I'd assume. Well, my, my big philosophical take on life is essentially we are trapped in our body and nothing we do will matter. Our vote will not change anything. We can recycle and we won't make an impact. And even if we change the lives of many people, those are just blips in an infinite timeline on a tiny bit in space. Therefore, if we're trapped in this world, we can feel happy and we can feel sad. And therefore, our goal should just try and be to be as happy as possible, obviously confined to, like, not being an immoral, you know, yeah. So in that sense, I I really don't... I, I don't get people who overcommit to their work. Like, I understand it, if that's what makes you happy. Like play Minecraft, watch some cringe reality shows, go to a park, play with your friends, play some games, you know. It's just a lot more fun. And, like, people get so caught up in just trying to be the best and all the pressure, especially when you're in kind of toxic, not toxic degrees, but what you were describing of having to really climb your way up in the commerce. It's just like, as your happiness caps are like, what, it's like 80k, 100k a year? Mm. You, you just don't get any happier. So, who cares, you know? That's quite a high cap. <laughs> 
Um, I was thinking more like 30k. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you're definitely right in that. Like, um, it was, I mean, it was just Reb the other episode. Like, he didn't really get a touch on it much, but he's talking about like, like if you ever, if you ever get, uh, you know, if you ever have like three hours to spare, um, ask Reb about consciousness. Um, and then he'll give you his soul spiel about that as someone who said he, he had like friends who are meditating for like 12 hours every day. Um, and I was like, mate, hit me with 12 minutes in a year and I'm, I'm good. But, um, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I just think back, like, you know, sometimes like, I feel like life was a lot more simple. Like when I visited Russia, um, and visited my family there, it just seemed like maybe it's because they don't have much choice. But, you know, they're all living in these kind of like, you know, sort of like small apartments. There was a TV in the kitchen and that was like the greatest sort of source of joy. Like they could watch these like, and they, they were all square TVs, regardless of it being like five years ago. It was just like this sense that if you you would eat like this thing called like Dr. Square Kalbasa, which is essentially like, like it was just like, like sausage with like lots of fat in it. And you would just cut it up, you get some cheese, you get some pickles. And then you'd have your little, um, your, your shot glass of vodka. And then that'd be your peak of happiness. And then, you know, when you had the time in the summer, you would go to your, um, you know, Altai or Dacha, which is essentially like Altai is like in the mountains. So like the Alps and stuff. So you'd have every, every Russian family, um, would have like a house in, in the mountains. Um, and that was a crazy time. Cause that was, you know, that's probably the closest I ever got into something like rural or like, sort of like, um, because it was just essentially like, um, it was like on the borders of like, you know, Mongolia and, um, the stands. Um, and it was, oh yeah. I was just saying, wow. Go yeah. on, please. Go on. So, this is um, so yeah, so you'd go there and then like the main source of income for a lot of people here was, um, like they would have a bunch of their horses and they would like pay, like they, they would provide like a source of entertainment where you could pay to ride on the horses. There was no saddles or anything. Most of the time you just sit on the back of the horse and they would like kind of like trod you over to like the beach and you'd walk around there and you'd pay them like it was barely anything because the Russian currency is, you know, it's, it's, it's not going too well, um, the economy, but, um, yeah. And it's, it's just like a lot of the time, the things there is kind of like frozen in time. Like, um, you know, they were all like walking around shirtless and no one cared. It was like in the mountains. We also had a, like our neighbors, like they had their own cow. So sometimes we would get like fresh milk, um, and cottage cheese, um, and sour cream, which was all fresh. And if you ever had fresh milk, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very hot and it's very like fatty. Like it came in this huge jar and we drank it and I was like, Oh, it's so gross. It's cause it was so like hot. And it was just so weird to have like freshly. And it's like a difference to like microwave hot. This was like, you could tell that it just came from like, you know, a living creature. Um, and so that was great. There was, um, obviously, obviously an outhouse as well. So you're not going to have like proper, like plumbing and like sort of like, um, filtration systems there. So you got really used to like the, the, the sort of situation in outhouses, nice little like wooden box. Um, and then in Russia, they also have, um, it's, um, oh, I want to be embarrassing my parents because I can't forget what it's, can't remember what it's called. Um, <laughs> but it was, oh, Banya. Which essentially this big wooden box where you would all sit in like, you know, um, you know, shirtless, without pants, just barely wearing anything. Um, and you'd put like rocks into it and like hot rocks and it would like steam up the place. And it's kind of like a sauna, but like, it's just a little bit different. And then what they'll do is they'd grab like these like bristles of like, uh, like leaves, like dried leaves, and they would whack you with it to like kind of get the, the, the sweat off you. 
and you would get like whacked by it and it was just like you know traditional and then oftentimes when it was in the winter after that you would go in you'd jump in like the snow um and you'd jump in like the cold water and this was like a way of like waking up and improving your metabolism um and there was like something called vodne procedure which is a way where russians would avoid like you know getting sick in the winter by training their bodies day by day by like essentially dipping like first like you know with a bit more clothes and then occasionally getting to the point where they'll be able to jump into like the freezing lake with just their briefs on um and this is a way of like improving your metabol like your immune system for the winter um and so yeah look there's modern medicine for you um things don't change but uh i think yeah it's just very interesting like where different sort of sources of happiness can derive from for my grandpa he was eating like you know um salami and pickles and watching our old russian tv shows on the kitchen like in the kitchen um and for others i guess it's you know listening to podcasts and it's it's all a matter of perspective in that sense see i found that really interesting purely because my idea of russian culture only comes from russian hard-based videos where you just have a bunch of people wearing like speed glasses <laughs> holding their cigarette as they're doing the craziest stupid dances so that was that was really interesting. Yeah, that that also happens. But I show you a bit more modern. Like I think I just wasn't shown that as a kid, so maybe that's a bit more representative. But it's like it's also like all the urbexing in Russia. Um, so that's I had friends who were like obsessed with urbexing. They would um do it in the school. That was kind of weird. But um yeah, urbexing is crazy. Um, I had a friend who just had a fantastic time in Sochi. So Sochi is a fun place. Um, and I learned this in my Russian class because it essentially has summer and winter activities all year long um so you can do skiing in the summer because they have like facilities there to support it uh and you can go like um swimming in the winter because the 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 lakes are just really warm so it's like the perfect holiday destination where like everyone in russia and the surrounding areas goes to um and it's crazy so if you're ever in russia or europe uh sochi is probably the place to go or, or, or saint petersburg that's also a lovely place but... Oh, interesting. Wow. Thank you for that, Ivan. I just wonder, Trav, does that sit in line with that philosophy? I, I, I sensed a bit of Nietzsche in there, a bit of nihilism of saying, oh, fuck it, you know, there yeah. isn't much more to this. It's a kind of zero-sum equation. Um, do you think that we've overcomplicated happiness? Because you're saying, given nothing really matters after, after all, in terms of, not nothing matters, but maybe it's, it's pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things. In seeking that happiness you mentioned, do you think we've overcomplicated it? Do you think maybe in your own life and in our lives, maybe we'd be happier if we just dialed it back to the simpler things like Ivan had just mentioned, the hot milk and the <laughs> old school saunas and the, all that? I mean, the best way to illustrate it is if you just take a second to think back about what are some of your happiest memories, it, it's probably not something you know, huge, like, I don't know, none of us probably discovered an insane invention, but it's probably just like a moment we shared with our friends at the beach or uh, a time when you were with your friends watching a movie and you like stopped to look around and saw how happy you were because you loved everyone around you. Those are the kinds of moments that, you know, get to you. And so that's kind of just where happiness comes from. It's doing whatever. If you, if you get happy from, I don't know, doing 10 hours of discovery in a law firm, like go, go for it. If you get happy by like, watching movies and hanging with your friends or going to parties, go for it. It's really up to the person. It's just made me reflect, Trev. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it's hit the heart. 
there's interesting sort of like because well, like human suffering has always been sort of an, 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 an sort of an important component of like the ability to persevere and create like yeah. sort of adapt to it and overcome it but recently it's we're, we're in a position where it's very difficult for us to suffer through things and like have to like challenge ourselves to get certain desires because we can meet them all very easily through the use of our mobile devices like you know accessing food cravings accessing like uh you know your your urges or even like just needing like some sort of entertainment is just one button away and there's just there's a belief that because it's so easily accessible you sort of become like desensitized from this sense of like you know reward and fulfillment as you did get when you're like hunter gatherers it's coming to the sense that like maybe there is a necess- like a necessity for us to feel like we deserve something and we've kind of repurposed that in other sense creating additional stresses for us you know like fabricated scenarios and situations that we bring into our lives as opposed to actual general fears that come as a like you know predators and just general survival instincts and like this this intermeshing of the two is creating this weird sort of like limbo where people don't know how to act and they're you know self-diagnosing themselves and just like um receiving these like symptoms and just generally like uh traits of you know that you would receive in very very dire situations back then so it's kind of this interesting situation where we don't know what's happening to us right now um and because of that like everyone is so much more confused so interesting. I don't know. I feel like some of those fabricated situations are pretty necessary. Mm. I mean, uh, I'm not sure about you, Trav. I'd love to hear your take on this, but Reb, who we had not long ago as a fellow copite like me, <laughs> massive Liverpool supporter. I don't know, sport, although it's a fabricated scenario is by definition. You know, I do think it, it really does bring a lot of happiness. I mean, I'm a commerce student now. I don't play football or you might call soccer as religiously as I may have used to but I find that so important to my happiness I mean the other day it was bucketing down with rain where I am I don't know about you boys but uh, the local pitch was flooded it was a mud pool and I thought F it I'm going to go out I haven't felt rain on my skin in too long I'm going to go out kick a ball with a mate get absolutely muddied up and it, and it was I think the happiest I've been in a couple of weeks playing a sport, creating a scenario, mm. the urgency to kick it off. Sport, music, politics, business. I really do think we have, so I personally think we have developed as people and we need more complex scenarios. If they're fabricated or not, we need them to operate. Um, I, I really do appreciate though that necessity of simplicity as Ivan has touched into. But I, for one, maybe my favourite things in the world other than family and whatnot are, are sport, are politics, are business. And they're all very constructed arenas. So that's kind of my take on it. Mm. What do you think, Trav? I, maybe you don't have to go into detail about those trophies, but, you know, maybe <laughs> that they come from sport. Maybe not. And if not, that's fine. What do you think of that kind of dichotomy? So first to deal with the idea of you know, sport, politics, business, I think it's a lot more simple than you described it in a sense that when you think about like human history and you think about how life's developed, you see that the central idea that always forms and an idea that always gives people happy is collectivism and group identity. The reason why like issues of radicalization aside, the reason why churches and like developing nations, their proselytization process is something really good 
is that it gives people with struggling lives a community to build on, something to believe in in spirit, a way that you can connect with a stranger on the street. On the street, and it gives a sense that it gives kind of an explanation and a purpose to a pretty un like unimportant life life in the sense that you're probably not going to do anything. Everything I said before, but you know maybe there's a lot to, like there's a, being part of a collective group expands the impact that you will have on the world. So when you're a part of that sports team, the bit that elevates you is being in the crowd and hearing the screams of everyone. It's knowing that you can strike a conversation with anyone and they just know the same things that you know because you're part of that group. I think similar can be said for business, being part of that team, that organization, all wanting to do something good. Politics is a shithole. I don't really care about that. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of what Ivan was saying, I, I agree that in a path to pursue greater happiness by following all these wants, it's also led to a lot of ways of people tripping over, people tripping over because they struggle with depression, finding the job. There's a lot more ways in which people can become unhappy when they've already had their like basic needs satisfied. And it's really sad to see, especially in lockdown, lots of people struggle because it's like that kind of like gamified way of trying to get instant rewards. It's a lot harder when you've had a world where you can basically do whatever you want and now you're trapped in home. So I think, yeah, it's, it's created some benefits like was pointed out, but also, you know, it's made it pretty hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, do you boys have anything else to bring off your chest? Uh, no, that was great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I thought that was a beautiful ending, nice and philosophical. Travis, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to talk to you, mate. I think you've done a smart thing by not telling us about those trophies. We're going to uh, need you back. Yes. Plenty more to talk about. No, how, how did you guys remember? It's such a clever distraction when I started talking about Tommy. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I think, um, you know, the Tommy wore off. And uh, after the Tommy wore <laughs> off, I think I just remembered a little bit of uh, why we got to this point in the first place. But uh, yeah, next time, just uh, make sure you take them off your shelf and then I won't have anything to remind me. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, and you'll catch us soon uh, maybe you'll be to tell you what Tra uh, Travis's trophies were in the first place take care everyone awesome cheers guys thank you Travis thank you